This is not the Mandy Johnson Show. This is not the Mandy Johnson Show. It's not the Mandy Johnson Show. Hello, I'm your host Mandy Johnson, but this is not the Mandy Johnson Show. This is a podcast to amplify the voices of talented people doing incredible things in the social good sector. So pop your headphones in and let's get inspired. In this episode, I interview the award-winning brand consultant and owner of the popular agency Brand By Me. We discuss her experience of working in some of the largest advertising companies in the world, why and how she transitioned into the charity sector, and the benefits that can be enjoyed by establishing your personal brand. This is not the Mandy Johnson Show. This is an interview with the talented Colette Phillips. A big, warm, excited welcome to Colette Phillip. Hello. Hello. I am so, so excited about talking to you, Colette. Do you remember our first ever interaction? Yeah, I think it was on Twitter, wasn't it? It was on Twitter and I looked it up today. It was a year and 10 days ago and I got in touch with you because my husband came home excited from work, which is quite unusual in itself. So just to paint the picture for listeners, My husband is a massive introvert, hates workshop um, and was told that an agency was coming in to help his charity with branding stuff. So he wasn't looking forward to the day, but he came home really energised and really excited. And he was like, I've just spent the day with this amazing woman called Colette. And I think he actually said she is the best facilitator I have ever seen. And he was really excited about his new branding stuff for his charity. So that's how I first heard of you and I've been stalking slash, you know, following you acceptably for a year and 10 days since then. <laughs> give such a long introduction, I'm just very, very excited to talk to you. <laughs> it's really nice, obviously, to get the feedback. Um, often brand, we run a brand and strategy consultancy, which I set up, and brand for charities can be the thorny, difficult bit that's kind of done to them, which obviously we, we don't do. Yeah. So it's really nice when you sort of see that play out in the way that leaders sort of leave after a day of working with us on the brand. It's quite a free, we find that rather than being a very restrictive kind of done to us process, it's when um, organisations work with us, it's kind of really freeing and exciting and and fun, which is what we want to do. So that's it was really nice to hear because it's like, okay, good. So what we put in the brand and what we try to do actually we're kind of achieving yeah and he works in the service delivery side of things and I think historically the fundraising team have sort of not lied but manipulated exactly what they do to make it sexy for fundraising and I think through that day that they had with your agency he was like oh no we are allowed to be authentic in what we do and how we say it we just need to say it in a way that makes sense for all of us yeah that's exactly it's interesting that that's right I mean we could do a whole separate conversation about maybe um the interaction stroke tension between fundraising brand service delivery within charities we could do a whole thing on that I it's funny I don't quite know why it continues to exist because actually what you've just said there is exactly the point it's not about ch- changing or misleading people into who we are. It's simply about identifying the people where this is going to be relevant and motivating for them mm-hmm. and then saying it into a way that they will understand and also get excited by. But yeah, I guess so because I stalk you, I know 
a little bit about your background, but only what's publicly available. You know, I'm not, I don't know where you live. <laughs> but you've got an amazing background. So you've worked for some of the largest advertising agencies in the world before coming into the charity sector. Could you talk me through some of that experience and, and what you learned and, and why? Yeah up leaving that sector and coming to the social good sector okay um great so i yeah i did i i started my career in advertising but advertising is such a broad word so quite specifically i worked in big london agencies working on big brands helping them deliver advertising that is going to differentiate them make people feel kind of emotional connections to maybe things and products where they don't really have that. I started in sort of the client services part of it. Um, so working directly with the clients sort of help them give us what we need as an agency so that the creatives can do great work, so that we can deliver actually strategy that's gonna have an impact. From there, I moved into strategy as well. It was an interesting time in advertising as an industry because at the time there wasn't really brand strategy or consultancy in the way it's done today. Oh, wow. um, so what that meant was effectively as an agency you'd end up getting the client's brief and then picking it and asking questions that would sort of help you understand the brand because you had to to distill the essence of that brand into a 30 second 60 second tv ad a poster the side of a van whatever you were doing and that discipline of sort of helping articulate and tease out brands it's kind of where I first learned it I always talk about it. It is one of the, the two things I talk about now in terms of my experience in the advertising industry from a diversity point of view, because as an industry, advertising, even then and now, is super fun. You work with really bright people and you get to work on some great brands in a way that still, I think, has a massive impact on popular culture. And that's really unusual like to get that. So you'd We'd sit down, I remember sitting down watching TV when we're, you know, at someone's house and you'd be like, oh, that's my ad, that's my ad. Wow. This. It's really yeah. lovely for something that's so tangible. Yeah. But as a, and it's still, the, it's frustrating that this is still the case, but as a um, black woman in the industry, it was tough. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily always acknowledged that it, that was tough and not maybe overtly that that was the reason why maybe I experienced barriers and sort of held back but definitely it was really tough because often you'd be the lone ranger so the only person of colour in the room you did get appended with just so many stereotypes of what people felt like black women were oh you get confused or what I did I should say I because I I do think this is a shared experience not universal experience um Mm. and there are many um, senior figures in advertising that wouldn't say this but for me and I, I now talk to people in the industry and I, and I still do and have connections and it, it pretty much is not only a shared experience just for black women but also people of colour within the industry and things like you get confused with other people it could be anybody like the receptionist the security guard the, the person like randomly who works in the next office and it's like it's just this sort of mud that you kind of wade through whilst trying to do a really challenging job in a very fast-paced, career-driven industry. My experience was that it felt quite often that I couldn't be myself and do the job that I was there to do. I would be pulled up for things that other people wouldn't be. or And sometimes, actually, as well, I would get feedback that people would project onto my clients but when I, when I interrogated it, it was actually coming from maybe the leadership. Um, and I, I got, you know, a specific example of, of that where, you know, I was in an appraisal 
we get 360 degree feedback as many people do including from our clients yeah. my clients have contact and um, copied me in on their 360 degree feedback so they were just so happy and they said stuff like um you know we just love your honesty we know where we stand with you you really seem to care about what you do and the creative work which makes us sort of believe you when you tell us stuff we believe it Mm-hmm. Um, so they're saying really brilliant stuff like that and I was just quite blown away by this feedback you know this is exactly who I want to be and it's lovely that my clients are seeing it yeah when I sat down with my boss in, in the agency uh, she said oh you know great work obviously great body of work uh, we have had some feedback from the client that maybe sometimes you're a little too honest and maybe you're uh, maybe you could you know, uh, no you're too honest or too another something too much like a too assertive maybe even to the point of coming across aggressive maybe that's that's something like that I can't remember the exact words we're talking 15 years ago but because I am very straightforward I immediately challenged it I was like sorry which clients are these and they were like well you know obviously the feedback is confidential I was like "Mm, yeah except everyone BCCB and all my clients (laughs) BCCB on their feedback so which clients again is it is it my clients because literally all my three these are my three clients all of them and I also got and I said I also got an email unprompted from the global director of the entire business who wanted proactively to give feedback which wasn't even on my list wow. as well uh, so I don't where so again which which clients are these and where's this feedback coming from mm-hmm. and then after much mm, oh uh, uh, mm, 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 actually uh, uh, or uh, I think that was maybe from the agency uh, uh. so you know you get to a stage where I think there's always this thing and I think again I think this is something certainly as a black person I think we're told often and by parents or whatever that you're gonna have to work harder and just be better than everyone else you're gonna have to work harder and be better because you know you're gonna have to just fight through barriers and that certainly was my experience in advertising like even to get to sort of the level of parity with maybe my colleagues that, that um, uh, you know, my, my white colleagues, I would have to just work so much harder. Mm. I couldn't afford to make any mistakes. And then when I say mistakes, I don't, you know, no one should be sloppy in their work. But things like if I was in a meeting and the equipment didn't work, I remember that happened. And then I didn't get promoted because all my work, and it's like uh, the, the equipment's already old in every meeting room. Yeah. Um, and actually also the person that was due to check the equipment was not me it wasn't my role in that so it's just things like this so um so because sorry you asked the question and i've gone around it and gone why did i leave because actually i told you i work with some fantastic brands bright yeah. people really brilliant impact on popular culture it was because I think there were two reasons and actually the experiences i just told you about were the secondary reason the big thing for me is that I really wanted, I, work's really important to me, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be able to do good through my work. Yeah. And I always wanted to work on the charity accounts. You know, um, agencies would have the NSPCC, like big charity brands. And that was always the kind of work that I wanted to do. Those opportunities just were not coming. I had the big, unsexy brands. I mean, I, I had lovely, brilliant experience. One of my favourite brands I've ever worked on was Always Ultra because it's women and it connects with women and it's all about something that's just so everyday and important and important to our very existence and who we are. So I loved that, but... Um, and I loved it and I love working on that. And I was always happy to work on these brands because they connect with people. 
but the creative opportunities or the, the ones where the, the, you know, the charity brands, no, nowhere near that. Well, I would never be able to touch any of those. But I, I got this sense that I was like, I really want to do good. Work is really important. I spend a lot of time here. I want to do good through my work. I don't just want to have a volunteering side hustle or whatever. Yeah. I, at the same time as having that realisation, I also massively burnt out at my agency where I was. So it was like, I can't go back into the industry. It's too hard. I, I'm not going to get to where I want to be the world and the universe and the leadership and everyone's just telling me that I they just is not you and so I took a, a bit of a career break and then I saw a role at uh, Bernardo's the children's charity mm-hmm. uh, which was a marketing manager senior marketing manager obviously I've never had a marketing role I've only worked agency and and mostly that at the time that I think it's more open now but at the time that was a barrier to client side um so people from brands going no you, you can't just have agency experience you need to have in-house experience but when I looked at the job description I was like mm, they're pretty much describing me and what it was at the time Bernardo's were needing to change perceptions of who they were in people's heads because okay. people still associated the organisation with children's homes, which is just yeah. not a very good way to deliver outcomes for vulnerable children at all. It's like the worst. And, and they didn't do that anymore. Hadn't done it for like 30 years, but people still had that really large legacy. They decided that they were going to do some advertising, like big brand advertising to kind of counter that, looking at the model of the NSPCC. And they had a really good agency in uh, BBH, which is an advertising agency, but they felt they didn't have the in-house expertise to be able to get the best from that agency and also deliver that sort of big brand shift that was needed. And so they just created a new role that was pretty much someone with advertising skills to work on our side and work with the agency. And that I got the job and it just went from there. And from an experience where I found that I had to battle to get any opportunities in the agency world, when I joined Bernardo's, within about three months... I got my first promotion to head of brand and digital, as it was then new media, because that's because I'm old. <laughs> and I got that specifically because of the skills that I was able to bring to the organisation and the need for bringing those two bits together. And it was an interim promotion at the beginning because it was due to a maternity cover. But not only when the maternity cover finished, I didn't just keep the job. I also got promoted again to yeah. assistant director of comms because all that stuff, being straightforward, caring about kind of advertising and the brand and helping the organisation see why the brand was so fabulous and why it was important. Yes, it's really tough, but I was able to do it and do it really well. And I got rewarded for that for the first time. I think Bernardo's had a very, even then, I don't know about now, I don't don't have any interaction with the charity or an association with them, but they had a very strong diversity um, agenda. It was something that the chief exec felt very passionately about at the time. A guy called Martin, Martin there, as he is now. He, what, what, how long ago was this? Um, ten years maybe. Wow, so that's yeah ahead of the game. Yeah, massively so. Even across fundraising communications, and my fundraising communications sort of board director was so, super forward thinking as well. And she, so she would do stuff like we did leadership training. We looked at our values and used them in terms of bringing the, the team together across fundraising and comms. Yeah, linked to the organisation having a really strong diversity agenda because of the breadth of um, the work with the beneficiaries. Me really clear that actually we need to be, you know, we, we can't be just all from one thing and, and, and everyone look the same. And, and that was really very, very different from my experience in advertising and so as a result of that, as a result of people being able to see, it wasn't, hmm, I think with few exceptions, when I joined the leadership team, I mean, if, not, if nothing else actually, I really, I feel like, well, when I joined um, sort of the, the fundraising comms leadership team, 
I feel like it was more my age at that point rather than anything else that was, was questioned. But I didn't, you know, still had the same thing. Someone's being confused for intern or like somebody, uh, you know, the serving staff at an event, whatever, that sort of microaggression happens. Like it still happened. But at a sort of strategic level, I was allowed to be myself and thrive. And people, it was like people weren't finding reasons not to give me opportunity anymore. You know, I just was able to take advantage of it. It wasn't like people, when I, my experience in advertising was that people, would look for reasons not to give me opportunities and, and nitpick reasons not to and find and really cast around for reasons not to. Mm-hmm. At Bananas, that just wasn't the case. And I think the way you just like, you just rolled over basically saying, you know, obviously I experienced racism all the time, yeah. but it didn't affect my career as much. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I know that sounds horrifying. Yeah, maybe ish. Yes. I, I think that whenever we have these conversations, even, you know, amongst ourselves as black women, people of colour, wherever you, however you segment it, wherever you're having the um, discussion, there'll always be people that say, well, it hasn't really helped me back. And I'm sure that's true in their experience. I think it's what you just said, though. It's kind of like, yeah, I sort of, you sort of have to just move up. You sort of have to plough on regardless. But in the act of, I guess what, I, what I'm not saying, in the act of planning on regardless, I think it's easy to shut yourself down to it and not see the opportunities or just sort of, um, sort of push through. I think for me, what I've tried to do is go, yes, I've managed to navigate my career in the onslaught of microaggressions because as long as it's not sort of senior leadership using these things to actively not give me opportunities or consistently just giving opportunities you know finding reasons but effectively you're seeing this whole raft of opportunities always go to the white guys and then you're seeing the the you know for example i observed this rather than this wasn't something that happened when i was in the organization but i observed this the redundancies all impacted people of color like all of them, the senior redundancies, all the senior people that were, maybe we need to cut a level of hierarchy, which, you know, happens in organisations. Funny how that just affected all of the people of colour. Yeah. And all the, and, and kind of all the, what white guys were kind of safe. And that sort of thing implicitly, it wasn't, they didn't say this in the redundancy. Well, you know, people have to go. So sorry, black people, goodbye. No one said that, but it just was the outcome of it. And that was the outcome of it. And I don't think, I genuinely don't think the people doing would even have realised that. They just went with the faces that fit, the faces that feel more comfortable. So for me, yes, of course, um, I'm going to say, I'm, I will be very overt about it and say that, well, I know that and I've heard stories of people who experience overt actual racism in their day jobs or in their roles or from people, you know, really horrendous things people saying. It's probably been more implicit and subtle and more about bias for me. Mm-hmm. but and I've had to push through it regardless but what I'm not going to ever say is that race hasn't affected my career as a result of that I'm just yeah. not going to say that and I think just because I've been able to push through doesn't mean it hasn't had an impact and I know it has and I think where people say oh it hasn't impacted me my observation would be I'm sure that's their truth when I look at kind of the maybe people who I know then on a personal level or who then confided in me when I look at the mask they portray at work as opposed to the person I know, when I maybe look objectively at the trajectory of their career, as opposed to peers in their industry that I know, I would not, although that's their truth, I would say maybe that's not the case. All that's happened is you've got so good at pushing through it regardless that you've not taken on that impact in the same way. So you think some people are putting on a mask, being a different person, thinking that that will help them in their career and actually it's having the opposite effect is that right absolutely well yes and no absolutely I think that's the case 
I think it does actually benefit people in their career. Okay. Um, so I, I think I shared this on, I've said, definitely shared this on social media. I did, I shared it on LinkedIn because in the context of the conversation around Afro hair, and mm-hmm. there's a really massive campaign that just went out probably a month ago, maybe a couple of months ago now about the ability, perceptions of Afro hair in the workplace mm-hmm. and this whole thing about professional hair. So Google professional hair mm-hmm. and professional hair and Afro hair comes up and this whole thing, it comes up all the time. It's not just, these are not style choices. These are active choices we're taking to take care of our hair and protect it against the harsh UK environment, as well as, you know, obviously to look good. And there's the campaign that was launched saying, actually, does my hair stop you from seeing me as professional, creative, whatever, Um, which is really good. So I shared this on LinkedIn. But I also shared it with a story, which is a horrendous story, which I'm going to say I share anyway, which is that I was working in um, an agency and I got held back by for promotion for pretty spurious reasons, only for about three months. But when I then went into my uh, meeting to say that I'd been promoted, my boss said, and the thing I would say, you know, first and foremost is you just look more professional now. You look like you're just ready for this. And I just, my, um, my jaw just dropped. The reason my jaw dropped, I'll give you some context, is because... In the probably the 18 until the sort of three months where the promotion didn't happen, the 18 months I had quite natural twists, which was a style I love like really kind of big, chunky, natural twist, and I loved it. I had experimented with a straight, very European hair looking weave that I'd got done the week before that promotion meeting. And I hated the hair as an aside, I hated it. It just looked really wiggy. Not that I'm saying that 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 style doesn't suit some people. It did not suit me at all. But anyway, it looks horrendous to be honest. However, I had literally just changed my hair the week before. That's the only thing that had changed. I wasn't dressing differently. I certainly wasn't any different. And that's the feedback. You just look like you're ready. And I had straight European hair. That's the only difference. And I sat back and it's one of those moments where you go, I didn't challenge um, the um, individual at the time. I didn't, because you don't know how to, because there's always this thing as well. It's quite, and this is where conversations amongst, conversations amongst black women, then black people, then people of color are really useful because there's a, there is across those dimensions of shared experience. And it's stuff like this where you think, is that just me? Is that, I think, I, and you're like, I think that was a bit racist, but you're not sure. Yeah. But you're not sure, because it's not like someone has hurled a like racial slur in your face. They've said it as a positive rather than a negative. They didn't, when I was promoting, say, you know what, your hair just makes you look totally unprofessional. I'm sure people have got that, that feedback. I've never have. No one said that. So because it's framed the positive, because it's just you, because you're the only one hearing it, you can't quite believe your ears. So for me, I would go home to my family and go, just, just want to talk to you about this. This happened. What do you think? And people be like, oh, it's racist, or I don't know, you know, or whatever. But it's useful now that we can have those conversations in workplace environment because then you know it's not you. So quite often you go, actually. And that's where the the conversation around charity so white on Twitter was really useful. Sorry, an aside, because that did not happen in the charity sector. That was pre charity sector. But it's been, I think there's something around the conversations, even amongst minority groups, that is helpful to have because it just makes you feel like your experience is not lonely and just you. And actually, someone said, that same thing happened to me and me and me in completely different organisations. You can go, OK, cool, this is not just me then. Yeah. And I think part of the challenge with the charity sector at the moment is because there are so few people of colour, it's really hard to find those people to have a chat with on your coffee break or over lunch because they're not there. 
Like, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And also, I think as well, I always speak about this and I have had to speak more about this recently because I've realised I don't want to give people the, the wrong impression. I am able to speak out in terms of my experiences now because mm -hmm. A, I run a consultancy. I don't work in the charity sector. I work with the charity sector a lot. Yeah. Frankly, I work in a competitive environment full of choice. You, yeah. If people had an issue with me being a black woman that spoke out, then they can go to another agency that's not brand by me, and that's their choice. I don't think any of my clients would be offended by anything that I say on social media or speaking out about my experience. It's not going to harm me or my organization. And if there were people that were offended, then I'm like, that's cool, because they're not our clients, then sorry, I don't want to work with you, and that's not our clients. I'm now in a position where I'm able to do this. That is not the case if you work within an organization. Also, I would say that sometimes we, I've talked about this, like there's a thing, and I know this came up in the Twitter conversation, which is that um, I've had, where you then are seen to talk to other black people, there are two reactions that happen. There are several reactions, but I've seen two reactions. Either people like look and they're like, oh, you two are chatting. Oh, I'm smiling approvingly. Like, oh, that's a thing. Look at the black people are chatting. <laughs> when you're like, happen to be amongst, you know, your finance fundraising person, marketing person, whatever. The fact you're interacting, people look like, what past are like smiling, like, oh, look at them, that's, that, isn't that funny? Or people, this is the worst one, if people will look with, sorry, go on. I'm laughing just because I'm shocked. I hope my laughing isn't offensive. No, no, it isn't at all. No, because it's really funny. Um, and then the, but the other, and this is the horrendous, and this happens a lot, is that there's sort of looks of then a bit suspicion what are you talking about why are you all grouping together are you that and that's a thing i'm sorry that is a thing it's not it's not overtly people don't say why are you all talking to each other it's just looks and it is the look and and i i'm not this is again i would say that i feel comfortable saying this because it's a shared experience i've talked about with you know even people i don't know very well it's just one of those things a shared experience that people have and they're like yeah that happens in my organization as well back to the point i guess yes i can speak out now and i do I think as a person of colour in, within an organisation, it is harder to find, as you've said, people, those like minds to connect, which is why mm -hmm. networks and, and cross-sector conversations are very good. But it's also, there may be consequences if you are seen to um, sort of, if, if you're seen to raise this, because mm -hmm. inevitably, I, know, I, got, I mean, people get defensive. Um, people will get... So they get defensive and then they either go, so people get defensive and therefore they go on the attack. And that's why I said people look for reasons not to. It's because of defensive reaction. So people will go on the attack then. So, and that's where that perception is that you have to feel like you have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you say, mm, you know, I, I do think there's an issue here and I, I'm not comfortable with this person in a meeting always raising this stereotype. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you do seem sometimes like you talk quite, you know, aggressively that is, is not appropriate reaction is it if I'm telling you my experience then to defensively put it back on me is not appropriate or um maybe you shouldn't take that person's word because they are seen as a bit of a troublemaker so if I were you I wouldn't maybe align myself too closely with them that sort of thing another person of color you know it's that sort of thing is just not really helpful so when you're getting that sort of reaction it you I can absolutely see people don't find those like minds and those, uh, those experiences it feels very lonely and also it can feel like there will be consequences, negative ones, if you do dare to speak out. As a brand expert, do you think through how people of colour 
in the workplace can create a personal brand where they feel comfortable and can be themselves or yeah it's something I'm really passionate about partly because of my own experience I didn't understand the concept of personal brand and actually as a brand person I was really skeptical because you see a lot of people talk about personal brand and it's artifice and it's headshots and it's you know followers and it's it feels a bit manipulative and I didn't really understand the power of it um, and I really was quite skeptical because the people talking about it as well I was like mm, this just feels like self-promotion mm-hmm. and, and actually a privilege that you can have as promoting yourself when you're not the face that doesn't fit you know it, it's fine you talk about authentic personal brand but frankly I, I can't be my authentic self because I'm being told that that is too much for an organization yeah. it changed when I set up my own business not because this is something that only applies to business owners it's because I was able to get it unconstrained by maybe some of the barriers within an organization. And I was also able to sort of map it in a strategic way because I'm a strategist. I was able to go, actually, just like brand, actual brands, there are kind of four pillars, your purpose, your vision, your values and your personality. Understanding how those things play out and what they are and how they can interact with each other helps you play to your strengths. So personality is a big deal. I'll give the example. You can suddenly understand why actually where people are trying to append a stereotype to you. And if you are clear on the personality strengths that you have that really apply at work, you can proactively start to demonstrate those and put yourselves in scenarios and maybe, you know, communication styles and whatever that will play to those as opposed to being forced into situations where actually you're having to act in a way that is uncomfortable to you and therefore you're not showing your best. So it allows you to be, the concept of personal brand allows you to navigate and be much more strategic about it. So I'll give you an example of personality. I am very straightforward, upfront, honest, blunt person. When I was younger in my career, because you are when you're young and you don't really understand it, I would sometimes be a bit painfully blunt because I didn't have any feel, I would just, and, and shoot off what's ever in my head. Now, honestly, that is not a good, that's not strength. It's, that is not something that is a good quality. It's not a good communication style. But when I worked in advertising, people would tell me, no, 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 it's because you're too honest and you're too straightforward. And it was like, no, 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 it's not, I'm too straightforward. I'm just executing it poorly. What I was able to do, when I understand this is a trait to myself, I thought, okay, what are scenarios, environments, where that straightforward is a real strength? It is a real strength when you are communicating with your clients because they want you to tell them the truth. It is a real strength when you are having to talk about creative work and why you are really recommending this as an agency because often as agencies, because of the way agencies behave, people will think that you're just selling something to get awards. So if you are a person that's straightforward and upfront, people will accept that you're telling them that this is great creative work because you're always honest with them. So they will buy they will buy it from you. So these are strengths that I had. So actually it went from too blunt uh, to actually being understanding where actually this is something where I can make this my superpower yeah. and I can really use this to be a really good account person. Likewise, values are really key. I knew then, therefore, you know, if I'd have understood the role of values in a personal brand, I would have understood why I kept bumping up so much against 
sort of just be my gut feel, the situation is not feeling right when I worked in advertising, because ultimately there was a certain values disconnect there, which is that I believe in building brands for good. Now it's different because the world is very purpose-led, but at the time, people's relationship with, with brands was more tra transactional. So it was more difficult for me to do build brand for good within that agency setting because of the clients my agency had. And understanding that now, I could have made decisions very differently about where I worked and how I operated. So I think that's where the power comes in is because, you know, personal brand, what I've just talked about is useful for everybody. But if you can imagine as a person from a minority background where you are being maybe confused by people appending stereotypes to you or people are looking for reasons to pick on your weaknesses as opposed to looking for your strengths. So rather than a strengths-based approach to advancement, you're getting, you're not doing this, not doing this, not doing this, that sort of thing. You can see how actually it becomes a real skill and a tool to help you thrive and help you just be yourself rather than having to create a master, rather than what I did in an, an, an agency, I didn't work there very long, but I was very unhappy, where this too straightforward, too honest, but I just got so much, I just stopped speaking up altogether. And that's just not me. I couldn't be myself. Or, you know, even, let's kick back to the hair example, feeling like the only style I could ever have at work is a straight hairstyle, even though I would have loved to have big, bouncy afro, whatever that looks like. These things all matter and they're really important. And the understanding of the components of your personal brand and using those as criteria to navigate situations in your career if nothing else just so if someone says something to you you think now that's not me you know that you don't you're not you're not unsure you're going no i remember once getting some feedback when i was going for a senior role and i was literally the last one in frame and at the end i didn't after meeting with the board i didn't get the role and they said oh no sorry um, we just think, don't think you're assertive enough for this organization and I was like, I don't know what organization that is then because I, that's just not it. And when you get that sort of feedback, I could think, did I not show myself? And I thought, no, that's just not me, is it? So they're just casting around for reasons. Yeah. They're yeah. just casting around for reasons. And so it's very useful. You can see how the concept of a personal brand just comes into its own, particularly just because of the environments and maybe the challenges that are being thrown at you. It makes sense. I feel like I'm learning a lot about myself through listening to you as well. So thank you. <laughs> so what made you, so you now run your own agency. Yeah. Um, and I saw your lovely team on Twitter this morning, <laughs> I think it was, looking yeah. beautiful with all your lights around you, which is amazing. You've got a team, you've built up your own business, yeah. like incredible. But why did you start that? What made you go off on your own? I've just done a big I, I'd sort of probably, uh, I guess I'd, I'd worked at a big global animal charity and I'd done a global rebrand for them probably about three years before or something like that. And I'd really managed that rebrand process in and out, you know, with all the successes and challenges that that encompasses. And I'd led the, that big program of change. I'd also then worked alongside one other person to really lead and drive forward the organisational strategy. And so I was looking around for opportunities, uh, looking within the organisation first and foremost for opportunities to step up my role because I was, at the time, I think, deputy director of comms. And I, I thought, actually, my role, given looking at the activity and where I, I play within the organisation, there's probably a bigger role here and a more senior role, not just for me, but I think there's a role there anyway. And then for me, I, I'm a good one for it. But those conversations, you know, didn't really go anywhere. So then you start looking around and I just... I just wasn't seeing or finding anything. And I thought, actually, I don't, I've done this now quite a lot, built brands within organisations. I've done this and I'm not, I don't know 
where to go next. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this organisation whilst, you know, I'm still having a positive experience there and I'm not really bitter about the fact I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to leave, but I'm just going to take a career break because I think I just need some time. I need some space. And it was in that career break, I was about five weeks into it and I suddenly, I was like, actually, this is, now is the time I'm going to set up my own thing. But it's quite specifically, it's going to be a brand agency for organisations that are too small to get the big brand, big heavyweight expertise from big agencies, but more complex than the brand just being implicit and in the founders and in the work and not really needing that as a very small organisation. So, and there's lots of agencies that at the moment are, sorry, lots of organisations that fall in that category. And at the moment I was looking around, and I know for me, I was connected agency side for my time in agency and working with commercial brands. So I basically used to beg, borrow and steal favours to get like the strategic expertise I needed and help. And, like, and, just, and I thought I have that ability to leverage that, but other people won't. And then they're either, so what was happening, people would either go to big eight, agencies too big for the organisation and then get a very limited window of very junior resource, which is not appropriate. Or they would go to small players that maybe hadn't had the big brand expertise, so weren't versed with dealing with the big brand challenges. And so I thought, actually, there has to be another way. And I think me, with my specific experience, because Brand Money was just me then, I can provide this. But I did want it. I always wanted it to be an agency because like, rather than just me going out and freelance because it gives the opportunity to... Well, there's a couple of reasons, honestly. One is I don't want to be a massive agency. I'm not going to be global like offices and stuff. But I did always want it to be a team because I really like bringing up talent. And also, I think there is a need for diversity in the sector and I can provide that just within my team <laughs> and agency. And I, don't, I also think that as a freelancer, you are kind of a temporary employee, whereas as an agency, you can provide an objectivity and you sort of can go in and provide some very targeted interventions, but actually you can grow the organisation up. So I'm not going to get into the same thing where I'm like, I'm having all the challenges of working in-house, I just haven't got the job security of a full-time job. I want to be there. So that's where it came from. And it was really, the vision was really clear and you know, the vision was built around my strengths and expertise, but now it's grown beyond that, much more beyond that. So I now have Colette's personal brand and I also have Brand By Me brand and they are separate things. They're different, they're different things because Brand By Me brand is the collective of our team and, and how we operate and what we deliver. And then Colette's personal brand is obviously all about me and my voice for change and what I want. I think one of the things that I really respect about you is the fact your values are so clear in what comes out in your, in what, everything you say online. And I've met someone who has set up her own agency very similar story in a lot of ways but she's a woman of colour and she told me last week I haven't been able to participate in charity so white because I wouldn't win clients if I did and I thought I, could, I get that like she doesn't have yeah. the she, she's not in a privileged position but it also made my heart sink a little bit the yeah. fact that people yeah. don't hire her because of it is that her perception or is it the reality and does she want to work with those clients anyway you know all of those sorts of things were going through my head yeah I think my career experience honestly I, just, I can't do it any other way otherwise I might as well be back working in organizations if I'm going to have that if I was going to and that's me not that's not um as uh, talking about this this lady so I have no idea what industry she works in or what, who she works with because it's also about the power of your network ultimately as yeah. well when you first set up business I mean three and a half years in I'm well beyond the power of getting just business from within my network well beyond it now I have to yeah. do actual business development and and tendering and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. but I feel that you know when you run your own business one of the biggest benefits of it and you have to because you do not have the security it's so up and down you do not have the security of yeah. a day job you can't 
afford just to be good at one thing you've got to do everything or get people in whatever that looks like so you you have to kind of broaden your skill space it's not the safe happy choice one of the biggest benefits of it though is that it is your business to run and operate as you do so if i felt like i was having to change who i was to run my business i just don't think it would have the benefits of doing it why would you do it i might as well go back into in-house yeah i might as well go back in-house why would i do that then if I'm trying to build something. So, but I, but then, you know, that, and that's me, but that's very much my perspective and filter. And it does have consequences. It means that, you know, because I'm so clear on values and stuff, I hear people will come in with perceptions around it and say, oh, you probably wouldn't want to work with X client or Y client because of this. And some of them, they're not right. They're not, they're not right. I'd be like, no, I, I definitely work with that client. I'm, I can see exactly where they're going. And sometimes where I'm able to work with brands is to actually elicit their sense of values and purpose and build them back into the organization. So they may be an organization when we start that doesn't feel like they are working that way at all. By the time they finish working with us, so they are. And there's an, there's an aspiration to want to do that rather than in their physical. So, you know, and, and honestly, I think from a business development point of view, it probably would be easier if I was a bit broader and less discerning in who I work with. I'd just work with anyone to pick up projects here and there. It would be, it probably would be easier, honestly. I'd probably, you know, be able to go on more holidays and, <laughs> and that sort of thing, you know, but that's just not how I want to do business. But that's my personal choice. Yeah, I've got a lot of time and respect for you choosing values over money, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, it's funny. It's one of those things. I think not being, I'm not very money motivated. I can be quite avert around that. It's not, it's not always a good thing though, because it does mean that I, in, the, in my younger years, I was really chaotic with money and didn't really understand it. And now, as a business, one of the biggest skills I've had to develop and grow and, and get real help with is about the financial management of the business side of it. There's a flip side of not being money motivated is that actually people can undervalue you and, and not really pay you your worth. And I yeah. think that is a balance. I do understand the currency and the importance of being paid properly and that for myself. So it's not in case people are listening thinking, oh, good, we'll get her because she's rich. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, she'll do all the free work. Uh, that's <laughs> not the case. I've had to learn that. And it comes down to, you know what, there's no right or wrong here. What we've described is a decision that I've made around my own personal values and set of, and my brand. I'm not saying people that do not have, do not do that are bad people. To be honest, there's such a need for objective thinking and consultancies that can break organizations out of established paths of thinking that I think building, you know, the more people that can build sustainable businesses and, and create those new business models, the better for the, the whole industry is going to be. So actually, if there are people that are happy and, and like the variety of working with the breadth of people, that is an awesome thing too. It's just not my thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I completely agree. I've got um, one of my best friends owns a house that costs more than a million pounds. Her and her husband just like having nice things around them. And that's something they're driven by. And it's very different to the things that drive me and my partner. But I think we're both true to ourselves. Yeah. The most important thing to me. Yeah. And I would agree with that as well. I think that that's, and I think that sense of powerful sense of self and then how it interacts with the outside world and, you know, whether it's work or personal choices, it's just really important to understand. Yeah. Um, are you aware of the question that I ask absolutely everyone who comes on this podcast? No. It's, it's a deep and meaningful question, and I hope you don't mind answering it for me. Yeah. Do you drink tea? And if so, how do you like it? Oh, <laughs> I have. I do drink tea. I uh, drink my tea black with two sugars, always. 
And funnily enough, so does my strategy manager, Danielle. So whenever we go to meetings, it's super easy for everyone because we have our tea exactly the same way. Nice. No idea why. We just, <laughs> we do. The reason I asked that question is because um, I once put that question out on Twitter. I can't even, I don't even know why, but I was surprised that one of my Muslim friends had milky sugar with, uh, milky tea with sugar. And I was like, oh, I'm really surprised. And she was like, yeah, it's because I'm Muslim, so you presumed that I would never do anything naughty like have sugar. And I was like, oh, God, like I have <sighs> unconscious bias built into yeah. my tea. And every time someone tells me how they like my tea, I'm always surprised. And I think, wow, I wonder what, like, where's that come from? I definitely wouldn't have had you down as a black tea drinker. I love black tea. But also, I do love black tea. But also, I didn't. It, the reason, I can tell you exactly why it happened is because... When I was going to university, and I remember one day I was at home, my mum and dad, and we ran out of milk. Um, before I was going to university, I was about, but I was about 17 and thought, mm-hmm. I'm going to be going to university soon, and I need to get used to drinking tea without milk, because I'm just not going to remember to buy milk all the time. <laughs> um, I'm just not going to remember. I know me, I'm not going to remember to buy milk all the time, so I need yeah. to get used to it. And that's when I started drinking black tea, and over time, I just prefer it. And now, I, it's, if someone gives me tea with milk, I'm like, no, oh, I can't. I can't I will drink it I like, if it's a certain, but normally I, I can't if it doesn't, I don't like it. <laughs> well, and it's vegan and better for the environment and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So yeah. you or anything else you'd like to share. I feel like I'm going to have to listen to it about five times because you talk quite fast. And yeah. I'm going to miss... Could you give me one takeaway from this conversation? I think the power of personal brand and but also the power that that last thing we said about really understanding yourself and your motivations and owning those across everything you do because I think that's the superpower and being really comfortable with that so that you can use that to navigate your decisions and life love that let's hope that everyone listening discovers their superpowers and shares them with us online so if people want to find you what's the best place to find you so my personal twitter is at brand by colette and then we have at Brand by Mia HQ is the, the work one for us all that and Twitter. And, it's, and actually, it's exactly the same on Instagram as well. It'll all be in the show notes then. And Lovely. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honour and a privilege and a pleasure talking to you. This is not the Mandy Johnson Show. This is not the Mandy Johnson Show. It's not the Mandy Johnson Show. <laughs>